All right, boys and girls, another episode of Before You Kill Yourself, and I'm here with Marla Dietz. I'm super excited today uh, for two reasons, because one, Marla works with students at a university, right? Mm -hmm. and two, you also used to work uh, on a suicide hotline. Correct. Uh, which I just called for the first time a couple months, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, actually like a week ago. Uh, and uh, it was a great experience. Mm -hmm. It's such a <laughs> random thing to say <laughs> about calling the suicide hotline. But, um, but you know, what? Uh, why I'm fascinated by it is because I called them when I wasn't even, uh, you know, I didn't have the suicidal ideation, but I was like, I just want to know what it feels like to call. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times when people commit suicide, they post the number on, on social media and then people are like, you know, you need to call this number if you're feeling. But I'm like, have you ever called? Like, do you even know what the experience is like? Uh, so how, lo how long did you work for the suicide hotline and what was that like for you? I was there for about a year and a half. Yeah. They have an extensive four month training experience that I went through where we went every Saturday for eight hours for a few months. And then you are you jump into the lines after that. Yeah. So it's nice to know also that someone you're talking to, yeah. even if it is their first call talking to someone who's contemplating suicide, they have extensive training. And I loved it. Uh, we all had a shift. So it was yeah. a volunteer experience. And I volunteered for the Tuesday night shift. I was there from 8.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. So I would come home at 1 in the morning and my husband's asleep. And he's like, how was it? I'm like, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't say that to be insensitive, yes. but it's such a powerful experience. And the phone conversations that you have with the men and women and children that call are were just fascinating and eye-opening. And it was so great to to talk to people and for them to be able to trust you with their story. Right. Because when people are calling the suicide hotline, they're typically, unless it was you last week, <laughs> they're at the lowest of their lows yeah. and they have a little piece of them really wants to hold on, but a huge chunk of them is done. And we were, you know, we had the privilege to talk to them about, you know, what they were going through, the hardships they were going through and to help them find a little bit of hope to, yeah. to stay on and to get it through that night. We always said, what, what can we do? so that you can get through tonight. And it's a step-by-step -step process. And it's, I mean, for lack of better words, sometimes buying time until the person was ready to find help. So sometimes we'd have these really great calls where the, the caller wanted help and they wanted services. And we were able to utilize our resources to give them referrals for counseling um, that they could find, which yeah. is great. The uh, it, It's true because... Uh, so many people do are just trying to buy time mm -hmm. and uh, they're low, but uh, they, they are holding on to like a string or, or something. And they're hoping that this phone call uh, makes the difference. Right. Um, and from your, the sound of your voice, <laughs> it clearly made the difference. And uh, and I'm sure you felt very empowered and like you were making a difference and, and really saving people's uh, lives. Mm -hmm. Um so uh, what, what what are those steps? Um, what, what I remember when I made the phone call, the first <laughs> thing he asked me um, was, where are you on a scale of one to five? Yep. Mm -hmm. With five being like, we, we need to send in the troops right now and, and save you. Uh, so what what are those steps that they, they trained you like in terms of walking somebody, you know, 
Right. First, it was finding the risk level. So mm. the one to five question was a question we had to ask every single person we talked to. Because right. if someone was a five, you know that this is, I mean, that person's in a really, really rough place that during that moment and you need to do everything in your power to try and help them whether it's to find help for them or if they can be you know kind of talked down um another thing to think of is sometimes people would say five but then they'd have no really intent you know there was the desire to die but they didn't have a way that they could kill themselves so it was a five but maybe not really a five um, so some other questions we'd ask are like desire and intent, um, if there's history of substance abuse, if they had taken any substances that day, um, if they are survived by someone else who died by suicide, because that's a risk factor that really elevates your own risk if you do have a loved one that died by suicide, um, if they themselves had attempted suicide in the past, we always would ask if they have a support system. Mm-hmm. So who do they have in their lives? Did they talk to someone else earlier that day? Is there a therapist? Um, because what we would learn is if there was a support system in that person's life, we were able to kind of help them find a way to go back to their support system. Or callers that were in therapy, typically with their therapist, they had a kind of a plan of what they could do when they were feeling suicidal. Yes. And we would help um, help get them back on track so they were going through the steps that they're supposed to be doing. And it's calling a, the suicide line was typically one of those steps. It's fascinating because when you are in that place of, of you know despair, the low of lows, as I like mm-hmm. to call it, uh, you forget. You forget yeah, really all do. the tools that you have. You forget the friends that you have. You, yeah. you forget the resources, the strategies, the plans mm-hmm. that you've had. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a reason why you practice like the fire drill at school. Right. Because, <laughs> you, you know, um, I remember reading an article one time and they were like, a lot of people, uh, when they're in an emergency situation, they'll dial 911 but won't hit call. Oh. Because they're yeah. so f- Fluster, like they, yeah. you know, you just you're so emotional and. It. I once dialed nine nine one. There was a car driving in front of me on Admiralty in the marina, and like it was, it was a really bad experience. There was like a woman trying to jump out of the car, and I didn't know what was going on. There was some sort of a domestic dispute. I just worked out that morning. It was like seven a.m. And I'm on the phone, <laughs> like, why isn't it working? And it was a busy signal, and then I realized I was. I was so anxious. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. <laughs> and that's what happens, right? Yeah. It's like we, we get excited or we get anxious mm-hmm. and then we, we completely forget. And that's why it's so important to reach out and, and make the phone call because right. you go, oh, yeah, you know, um, I, you know, I've stated this before in a in podcast episodes that um, one of the things I do, I keep a list of things that I want to do before I kill myself, mm-hmm. which is kind of the impetus for the, the podcast, because I realized I, I was forgetting. Right. Like, hold up, wait, I want to do that. I want to write. I want to write that book. I want to go visit that country. Mm-hmm. And um, it it's like you need that reminder right there. Right. What were the um, what were the things that you learned? Like, um, like okay, there were things that you learned during the training, but then what were things that you learned uh, it, through the experience of it? Right. So I myself, I'm a licensed therapist and I went, you know, I went through school and I went through extensive training to become licensed. And one of the things I learned early on in my education when working with suicide is you make a suicide contract. 
The client makes a contract that tells their therapist they're not going to kill themselves. Well, I learned at the suicide hotline, and I now truly believe in that. Is that a contract? Is silly. Um, and I, I myself in practice prior to having that training at the suicide hotline, I use contracts with clients. And what we realize is that a client right, signing a piece of paper saying they're not going to kill themselves is really not that powerful. What's powerful is having people to call, having tools, having that support behind them so that they not only are they not going to do it, but they're not going to do it for a reason. Um, so number one, I learned that the first day. <laughs> I also learned that you can't make someone suicidal. Um, asking someone about suicide is not going to give them the idea in their mind that they should go and attempt suicide. And I think that's a stigma these days where, you know, parents or teachers or friends, they're afraid to use that S word, that it's going to, you know, bring up all of these ideas, but it really doesn't. If anything, it opens someone up from what they're holding on inside of them. You to know, have like, that conversation. Yeah. To, to be vulnerable, to share. Right. Because uh, that's all most of us want to do is share and connect and express ourselves. And uh, we're afraid of being, like you said, shamed or right. embarrassed by it. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of goes to that idea of like nowadays, are there more people struggling with mental illness? And are there more suicide deaths because there's a problem in our society? Or is it just, are we more aware of it? I mean, I think part of it is, yes, things have gotten worse. Um, and part of that is just because of, you know, modern day, there's more issues and there's, you know, more traumas that people experience. However, I think we talk about it more and people are open to discuss mental illness and suicide. And so they learn that more people in their lives are experiencing this on the inside. They just haven't told anyone. Um, so definitely learn that it's something to talk about. Yes. And I have asked family members, I've asked friends, I'm like that person that says, okay, now I just, I need to ask, <laughs> are you thinking about suicide? And people appreciate it. You know, I don't, I've never had someone offended for me asking that because they know that it's a serious question. It's a serious issue. And I think they appreciate it because if they were feeling that way, it's easier to say, yes, I'm feeling suicidal when someone asks you than to just walk up to someone and say it. Absolutely. You know? to because kind of opening that door. At, yeah, because we're trained as, in, you know, culturally to say, I'm great, I'm fine, right. I'm okay, um, I'm good. You know, those, nobody's ever like, I'm melancholy, I'm sad. Like, right. <laughs> Eeyore. <laughs> absolutely. And, and we're, we're, I think a lot of people are walking around looking for permission mm -hmm. to express themselves. Right. And have you, I, I think some people do want to ask, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then they don't know what the next step is, right? The suicide hotline. <laughs> that's the next step. <laughs> um because even if you're not trained and you don't know what to say next, yes. that's why I believe everyone should have the suicide hotline on their fingertips. And what's great actually is if you Google, if you, if you put in a Google search and anywhere in your Google search has like the word suicide, the first article that pops up or not article, but the first thing that pops up is the suicide hotline. So even if you're, if you put in like suicide trainings, it'll be suicide hotline. And it's great that, Google has found a way to do that uh, because it's so easy to find that number, even if you don't have it. It's 1-800-SUICIDE. I mean, it's also easy to remember. Oh, I, had 
So <laughs> there's a number of numbers out there, but one of them is 1-800-SUICIDE. So if you can spell suicide, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. It's a C, not an S. <laughs> one S, one C. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know, working with college age students, mm-hmm. um, I was looking at the numbers and they said that the, the uh, suicide rate amongst college students is three times that uh, of the normal average. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is what you talked about earlier is that um, people don't have somebody to reach out to or they feel like they don't have somebody to reach out to and I can see a lot of college students who are away from home for the first time Mm -hmm. um, you know out of the care of their their community their friends and now they're in a school with 20,000 40,000 however many students they may feel uh, isolated and lonely do you see that or you know I work um, I work in the education side of Mm -hmm. it so I do I don't have that that um, perspective as someone that works in a the counseling center would have. I know that typically when people are out of their normal routine, that's when those types of ideas can spark. So it makes sense that if they're going to college and they're already vulnerable, that now, like you said, they're alone. They're kind of a number. It, these feelings can pop up. Um, interestingly enough, the highest population of um, you know, suicide deaths is in typically middle-aged white men. It may have recently changed, but it's middle-aged it's white still, men. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is kind of fascinating because um, when you start looking at it, it's it's not just a gender, it's not just a race, and it's not just an age. There's this one population that tends to see it more. In youth, though, you see it... Um, you see it a lot in the minority populations such as the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. um, because, you know, depending on where they live, if they're not, you know, if they don't feel the, you know, welcomeness as you would maybe in a major metropolitan city like in Los Angeles, but if you live in middle America, um, you, you don't have that outlet or you don't have that support. So it tends to typically, you're, you're seeing those suicidal thoughts around people that just don't have that normal support or are just stretched too thin. Right. Uh, in terms of when you say stretched too thin, what do you mean by that? How are you defining I see that? it as someone who just has a lot going on. So maybe they're, maybe they're taking care of people. Maybe they have financial problems. Maybe they're in school, they have children or they have medical, you know, issues that they can't take care of. Um, and they have a lot going on. They're overwhelmed. It's interesting. You said, I remember I had a, a, a client of mine back when I was uh, going through my uh, internship, mm-hmm. or my master's in. Uh, the kid, it was a college kid, and he had attempted suicide like four or five times. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I was like, let's remove the stressors. Mm-hmm. Let's remove the, let's, let's manage the, the things that are being unmanaged right now, which was for him a uh, school application and uh, he was out of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was amazing once he, you know, got in school, got into the college he wanted and found a job. Then all of a sudden he was loving life again. And then he got right. a girlfriend and, and then all of a sudden he wanted to quit counseling. And I remember telling him in the first session, right. <laughs> I, in the first session, I said, listen, uh, you're going to start to feel better because you're talking to someone. And we're going to start to remove some stressors. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you are better. Mm-hmm. All right. Can you speak more to that? Because I can see your face. Oh, just yeah. Light up. I mean, that's so common. Um, you have people who, you know, who go to counseling and they or even I mean, I, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't I'm not 
I don't have that much information on medications, of course, but even individuals who are medicated for mental illness, the moment they start to feel better, they're like, oh, I can, I don't need my meds anymore. Um, but typically if you're medicated for mental illness there's some sort of chemical imbalance that needs to be corrected. And so you're, yeah, you're going to feel better. That means that you and your psychiatrist and your whole team got it right and you're doing great. Um, same with counseling. If you're starting to feel better, that's excellent. You know, you and your counselor, your therapist are able to, you know, you found these tools and you found the right way, but the day you feel better should not be the last day of therapy or counseling because you may have a long road ahead of you. And especially like individuals that are victims of trauma and have trauma experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, they can be re-triggered. And if you're, if you stay in counseling, then great, because you have that to fall back on. I understand that people, you know, don't need to be in therapy their entire lives by any means. Um, but it's not something to leave the day that you start to feel better. And I would see that a lot working with young people, you know, working with, um, with school age children. Cause I yes. worked, um, in the K 12 school system for a few years and, um, you know, the moment someone starts to feel better, like, Oh, I'm okay. I'm good. Everything's great. Thank you so much, Marla. Like I'm feeling great and I'm happy that they feel that way. Yes. However, you know, especially when you're a teenager, their girlfriend can break up with them the next day or their uh, boyfriend can break up with them the next day and they're a wreck off the rails. Yeah. So I think there's a, you know, you want to maintain, so you have like a maintenance period. So mm. you have that period of time where you're learning about therapy and you're learning about yourself and you're learning tools and then you start to use them. And then I believe that a maintenance period is really important. And a lot of the times during maintenance, um, you maybe you stop seeing your counselor or therapist weekly and you see them every other week or maybe you move down to once a week, once a month. Um, I even know some you know, some colleagues of mine, um, part of their maintenance is once they've discharged the client and they're terminated and they're done, they have, they set an appointment for six months later. And so they say, we're done, but in six months, we're going to check in and have like an hour or two appointment. And then if everything's fine in six months, they'll do it again in six months. And I find that to be, I mean, an extremely ethical practice personally, because it's hard to just say goodbye client See you later. Good luck. And it's sometimes it's hard for the individual to come back and say, hey, I need your help again. So if you already have that appointment set or, you know, the therapist is is going to call you to make the appointment even better. That's I love that idea. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like going to the dentist. You know, you make you make the appointment for the next for six months later to get your teeth cleaned Mm -hmm. before you leave. Mm -hmm. You don't. Yeah. I love that idea. I've never thought of that. The. And you talked about triggers mm-hmm. and what are some of the things that can trigger someone into uh, suicidality and and how do they how do they talk themselves out of it? I mean, you know, because the suicide hotline is a, is a great hotline. And for whatever reason, someone can't make that phone call. Mm-hmm. What what are how do we how do we talk ourselves down out of it? I love the idea you have where you have this list of things that you need to complete before you kill yourself. I I think it's an individual kind of answer. It's whatever works for that person. So for some people it's saying, Oh, well I can't, I don't know. Like you think of someone who's a parent. Well, I can't kill myself until my child is out of the house. Well, if their kids too, <laughs> they have a really long time before that happens. A lot can this change. Is, right? I mean, these are these are things that I hear people say, um, and that's where the ambivalence comes in with suicide. Is 
a lot of the times these most people who are feeling suicidal, it's not 100%. There's part of them, whether it's a big part or a small part, that wants to stay alive and doesn't want to kill themselves. And then there's a part that does. And it's, you know, what's important is finding that part that doesn't and finding what works for that part. So whether it's a list of things to do before you die or a person that you, you know, you can't die beforehand. Um, for some people, it's just having an activity to do. So going for a run. Um, for some people, it's watching TV, going to sleep. It's something to it's distract like you yeah, or get skills. some. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, at, you know, working on a suicide hotline, what were some of the do's and don'ts there? You know that um, because, you know, I think for some of the listeners out there who may have a friend who's suicidal and mm-hmm. is like, wh- you know, what are the things that I say to them? What were some of the things that they were like, you know, definitely don't do this mm-hmm. when you're talking to them. Uh, but definitely we want you to do more of that. Well, I think in general, it's important to never tell someone you understand. I think that's um, kind of like a faux pas that we all use. Like, you know, if you started telling me your, you know, a very terrible experience you went through and I said, oh, I understand. Well, I I don't understand. I don't know because I haven't I haven't been there. And I think that's important to remember when someone's sharing anything about their emotions Mm -hmm. because you don't you can empathize with them. But you don't know what they're going through, especially if you yourself haven't been suicidal. You really don't understand. Right. Um, I think it's important to validate. So that's something that, you know, they would teach us is always validate the what the individual is saying. So if you have a friend or a colleague or loved one who is feeling suicidal, you want to tell them that you heard that. Don't ignore it. Don't walk away. It's it doesn't need to be your burden. Right. You know, and that's why we have these hotlines out there or you can you can, you know, Google a counseling center for your friend. If someone is extremely suicidal and actively suicidal, you can call the psychiatric mobile response team or call 911 and they can take the individual to a hospital. So it doesn't need to be completely your burden. But in that moment, you know, that if that if a person chooses to tell you this information, you know, you do what you can. And sometimes all that is is making a phone call. Right. You know, if right. there's if you're a lay person, you know nothing about counseling and psychology and suicide. You pick up your phone and call 1-800-SUICIDE and they'll talk you through what to do. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the one. I think what's really interesting about the suicide hotline is they'll take what they call third party calls where you're calling about someone else because you don't know what to do. And maybe your friend's sitting next to you and they can take over the phone call um, or maybe they're you know, they're just going to counsel you into kind of kind of getting through the pain that you're feeling because your your loved one is is in that space. Absolutely. What what even got you into this work? Oh, that's a great question. Uh Oh, there was a deep breath. There was a big uh, exhale right there. Well, when I was in first grade, <laughs> so I always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And I was I I went to college and studied education and I became an elementary school teacher. And when I was teaching, I just wanted to help every little person in my room. And so then I went back to school and I went to go get my master's in counseling. And originally I thought I would be a school counselor. And then I found out I could be a licensed level clinician without getting my PhD I didn't want to go down that road. <laughs> it was like another eight years. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. Because even this, it was three years of school, three years of, you know, post-grad internship to get licensed. It's a long road. Yes. Um, but I've always been one that 
enjoys just kind of listening to people and being there for them. Um, you know, I, I, um, volunteered for a lot of camp youth camps when I was a teen and when I was in college and I just, I enjoyed it and I enjoy being there for people. Um, Are you a middle child? No, I'm the youngest. Youngest. Yeah. I'm the youngest three. I have two older brothers. Wow. So a lot of, a lot of listening. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine there's a lot of listening because, you know, I imagine two, two brothers are very, uh, vocal and rambunctious and, um, yes. Um, I, I could, I, it could go one of two ways where they're very overpowering, where you're just kind of like in the, in the background or, um, you were the boss of them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I was ever the boss, (laughs) but yeah, no, the youngest of three and two brothers and, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I guess I did a lot of listening. I think you're right. And I just always liked being there for people. So it just made sense yeah. to go into this work and I have always loved it. I mean, I've worked, um, I've worked in inner city high schools. I've worked in elementary schools. I've worked in, um, a community mental health clinic. I've worked with clients as young as three, as old as 70, um, couples, families, individuals, <laughs> everything in between. And I've always enjoyed it. I've always loved it. Is there a, a question you're trying to answer, uh, a challenge, a, uh, you, you know, like, I feel like it's that like you enjoy, I hear you saying you enjoy listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there something uh, like, what was your, uh, your, was it district thesis? Master's your thesis. What was that about? What was that? So on? I didn't, I didn't have a master's thesis oh, okay. in my program. Um, we had an experiential ah. end of program experience. Um, I would, my post-grad specialty though yeah. was working with trauma and suicide. So my, my, the last role I held before I became licensed was working as a crisis therapist in a local high school here in Los Angeles. And I was the kind of, we called it like the, we call it like the psychiatric emergency room in a way where, um, students would be referred to us when there's some sort of a crisis going on that wasn't appropriate for the school counselor, like the, that academic counselor right. that you see to like schedule classes. Right, right. Um, because, and not because they're not capable by any means, but because the time, you know, they, they have so many things on their plate. So the school brought in a licensed therapist or a pre-licensed therapist to provide that crisis treatment. Um, so we were able to see students, um, up to two times and the sessions could go anywhere from like 30 minutes to like four hours. Um, many of the times suicide assessments were involved. Um, that doesn't mean every time they were suicidal, but there were, um, I mean, I countless suicide assessments that I conducted at that school. Um, and a lot of our, my clients, the students were just victims of some sort of abuse or trauma. So, child abuse, domestic violence in the home, in parents who were incarcerated, um, you know, children who had crossed the southern border of California and have very traumatic border crossing stories, um, teen parents, um, yeah, you name it. And so I would call that my, that kind of like training. That was my, um, my specialty. That's where I enjoyed focusing those kind of like very important training years of my, of my counseling 
career because during that time you meet with a licensed supervisor weekly and you're able to process all of your cases with them because you're working under their license. You're not licensed yet. And that was probably the, I mean, that was the best education I ever received. I mean, I really enjoyed my classroom education, but there's something about being in the field. (laughs) Absolutely. It's like the huge, it's like a a nurse or doctor who's uh, working uh, like in Pakistan with the troops, like because of the high volume and the the intensity of it. Yeah. I um, mean, in a 40 hour work week, so school's in session eight to three, um, you know, that's seven hours. I would say I was on a slow day in sessions for five of the seven hours of the school day on a super, super busy day. You can ask my husband this. I was there until 7 PM. <laughs> so there, um, it, you it never stopped, which was really great. And I had the energy for it and I enjoyed it and I thrived on it. And I have this really special power where, um, I'm able to appropriately and emotionally disconnect at the end of the day, which is really hard for people to do. And which is, you know, the, the helping professions are not for everyone. Absolutely. Um, and I'm really glad that it's for me. Yeah. Cause some people take it home with them or, you know, they're like pouring through the case files and crying and, right. you know, wanting to take all the children home with them. And, and you can't do that. I mean, no. don't get me wrong. I've had tears in my eyes and I'm, of course feel for these people and I, I think about them but you know there's boundaries there's are important boundaries. Absolutely. boundaries are so important in mental health or in any type of and you, you have your own experience. you have your five-month-old uh, I do yeah I have a five-month-old baby <laughs> what's her name Shelby Shelby how'd you come up with that well, my husband would say this is not true but I think this is it so Mustang? He, yes <laughs> If you open you my know. garage door, you'll see two '66 Mustangs. Get out of here! Yeah, and one for you, one for him, or are they both his? <laughs> They're both his. Um, he started working on one of them when he was 15. Wow. He's now 33, uh-uh. and then he um got another one I think right before we met. So when he was like 22 or something, 23. Um, yeah, he's a car guy. He yes. he does that for a living too. But these are his um these are his little pride and joys. Hobby. Yeah. So I think he got the name from the car, not to say she's named after the Mustang, but that's where the name came from. Right. I'm okay with it. You're okay with it. I had that. a hard time choosing names. So the we didn't know what we were having either. So we had a boy name and a girl name picked out. Wait, what was the boy's name? Calvin. Not I thought it was going to be a Mustang. <laughs> no, but I think Calvin comes from Cal Worthington Ford because he has a thing for Cal Worthington Ford and the With the hat? the hat? Oh, my God. <laughs> and for those of you listeners who don't know, Cal Worthington Ford is a local car dealership. And he puts on – I think every city has the car dealership with the ridiculous <laughs> car commercials. And we got Cal Worthington Ford, which I'm sure you could just YouTube it. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, he's a character. And he always said, like, he'd have a dog and the dog was like a lion or something. I don't know. Um, so I just said, give me names that you like and I'll just say yes or no. Because I couldn't just, like, pick a name. It was too complicated. It's a big deal to name someone. Uh, yeah, because your family's chiming in and everybody has an opinion. Mm-hmm. And then there's the trending names and so on right. and so forth. And you don't know what she's going to be. So I'm like, you know, she could be an artist or she could be the president of a Fortune 500 company. So she needs to have a name that can do it all yeah transcend all right the, but you didn't also didn't want to go generic like amy 
No, we didn't want to go. Sarah. No, we didn't want to go too generic, so we, we chose Shelby. And maybe one day she'll have a Mustang. <laughs> uh, you do have a lot of energy, like you said earlier, and and you are able to set boundaries. How how do you decompress? At, like, how do you take care of yourself? Mm. Um, because I think a lot of people, I just realized recently, like the way the ways I thought I was taking care of myself really weren't taking care of myself it was hmm. I was really like uh it was either a distraction hmm. or I was procrastinating but I was like no I'm just, I'm just going to go see a movie I'm just going to go hang out and it's like right I'm just really avoiding the issue how do you how do you really like take care of yourself and and so that you can show up every day and be present I have a few things I enjoy doing daily so we love to cook my husband and I so cooking is a great way to decompress at the end of the day and it's a healthy thing as well because we, you know, we cook meals that are healthy for ourselves. Um, and I also, I'm active. So I like to walk my dog and I like to swim. And during the winter, we'll go snowboarding. So I do activities that kind of get me outside because I think that's really important. Um, there's something about being cooped up inside that isn't healthy. It's not healthy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun to Netflix and chill every once in a while, but it's also really important to take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul. Absolutely. So being active is really important to me. Um, and then just like any good therapist, when you need to talk to someone, therapy is there for therapists as well. And I think that's really important because there's sometimes you just can't do it all. You yeah. know, um, I'm a big believer that at some point in your life, I think therapy is important for everyone at some point. doesn't mean they need to go for three months, maybe even one session, um, kind of like a tune-up, just a check-in. Make sure right. you're processing and framing things correctly. Um, what you know, speaking of which, what are because you mentioned you mentioned earlier that uh, children are facing some issues that uh, children in the past mm-hmm. or traditionally haven't faced. What are what are the, some of those things that kids are going through? Because I think a lot of people think they're the only ones going through what they're going through. Or they're the yeah. only ones. Unfortunately, that feel that they're way. not, and I, I truly mean it when I say unfortunately, because so many people are going through um, experiences these days that you know even I didn't even have. So you think of social media. Number one, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I could drive. Um, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Snapchat or Twitter and Instagram. And it's, I mean bullying like number one cyberbullying it is huge and it is terrible so when we were kids and subtle and subtle so subtle now and when we were kids okay you had to go to school and maybe there was you know there was a bully maybe right and maybe you were the person who was being bullied and it was terrible but you got to go home at the end of the day and you got to be away from that person yes. and you didn't have to see them again until you went back to school the next day. So when Friday came along, you got a whole weekend away from them. Summer, uh, winter break, spring break, you get where I'm going because now you can't get away from the bully right? because the people are always there. You get notifications. Bing, bing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, s- children are bullied in all different ways through you know, texting and phone calls and posts to social media. And, and I, I think that's a huge part of it. And then you let's just look at like the climate of the world and we are, you know, the information is so easy to get now. So even if someone isn't like directly affected by a world event, 
they're learning about that world event and they're learning about it really quickly. When when I you know when we were kids, I had no idea what was going on in China or Japan. Nobody was talking about the the president really. Like you yeah. didn't know how crazy the the presidents were back in the day. Right. Um, and now, like you said, it's now everybody's talking about yeah. it. You go to church. I go to church and I'm like, <laughs> they're oh. talking about it. And here's the thing. It's not like all of this just started happening. It's right. always been there. Just always. like mental illness. It's been there. Yeah. Things can, you know, things can get worse and things can get better. But these world events always happened. It's just now they're just like at your fingertips and it's hard for kids because they don't have the resiliency to, you know, sometimes to deal with it, right. you know, or they don't understand, um, the distance they have from it. You know, they hear terror attack. They think it's in their backyard. Yes. And the news does a good job of making you feel like it's in your backyard. I have, <laughs> uh, so many friends who, uh, start their day. And I used to do this in college watching the news. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it, it, sends me spiraling down Mm -hmm. uh, for the rest of the day yeah because I feel overwhelmed I feel like I feel hopeless because there are things going on in the world whether it's uh you know child soldiers or Mm -hmm. uh whatever's going on in China and Japan and I feel like oh my I can't do anything and it's not even 8 a.m yet and I'm already and we're like trillions of dollars in debt and I'm like (laughs) I gotta pay this debt off like this is insane you know um, and then I'm like, why am I even, why am I doing anything? Because, uh, everything's polluted and mm-hmm. global warming is melting the polar. I, and it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. close the blinds. So and- <laughs> think about like a seven year old hearing all of that right. because their parents have the news on and they don't realize it, yeah. you know, they don't realize what they're, what their child's really hearing. Or you just, if, even in the car, you listen to a radio station and they have, you know, the news updates once an hour and you know, it could be a very happy radio station until that once an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, it's, it's so true as those small little, yeah, um, kids are listening. They are. And I, and the other thing like is even if it's not negative news, it's also, uh, the social comparison or feeling mm-hmm. that, or the feeling or the awareness that, uh, you, other people at your school or in your peer group are doing things and you are not included. Right. So it doesn't have to be the bullying. I don't think necessarily is so much an attack on you personally, but just the feeling of why wasn't I invited to that mm-hmm. thing? Or like when I was in high school, like I didn't know. You didn't even well, know they were having know. a party. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. They weren't posting or Insta storying or <laughs> right. anything the like that. The kid just didn't show up on Monday. You yeah, know, you're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh yeah social. So I have even like done social media fast. I don't know if you've ever like recommended that to your uh to your clients of like, you know, sometimes you just have to like zone out. You don't have to know everything that's going on you don't, in the you world. Don't. No, I totally agree with that. Or you don't need to know everything that's going on with every person in your school because especially kids these days because they're right. following people they don't even like know. Like, mm. Oh, I saw them at lunch and. Now they know their entire life story and they're sad that they're not being invited, but, but you're not friends with them and that's okay. We don't need to be friends with everyone. Um, I think social media is a really great thing and I think it's a really, really, um, difficult thing as well. Yeah, I think it's really great for a lot of reasons, but there are a lot of reasons that it doesn't do any good either. How do you teach, um, children how to connect? Um, Mm -hmm. because loneliness seems to be 
on a rise, mm-hmm. uh, partly because of social media, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where I was reading something about in uh, England, they have studied, uh, they started a, a loneliness coalition, the government has. I, I just heard that, yeah. To go recently. around and connect, and yeah. now they're opening yeah. cuddle rooms. Right, right, right. <laughs> people need to, I, well, we, we, I, yeah, I'm not sure how legal that is. But I, I, it just, like, I think a lot of kids have a hard time just connecting with their peer groups. Yeah. Um, and are there strategies or techniques that you... Definitely. I mean, working with really young children, you know, children that are like kinder for second grade um, sports. I mean, Mm. that's number one recommendation to a parent is get your child involved in sports uh, because not only are you socializing them, but you can also experiment and find something that a child is really good at. That's then going to improve their self-concept and, you know, increase their self-esteem, which is huge and important. Um, you know, it's interesting you said loneliness because even today I heard on the news um, <laughs> that <laughs> lack of sleep is contributing to loneliness. How so? You know, I, I, I was in between errands, so I heard it very briefly. Um, but they were saying that people who don't sleep, um, you know, substantial. So I think adults were supposed to sleep like seven to eight hours a night or something that they're more prone to feeling lonely. And maybe I'm thinking this is my own thought. If you're up late at night and you're not with anyone, well, yeah, you're probably going to be alone. So are they tied together or is it a cause and effect thing? I'm not sure. But for kids, you see that, you know, kids that stay up late at night and they're on their, they're playing games and they're on their social media, they're watching movies. You know, even if you're connecting digitally, I know you can play video games like live. I don't yeah, exactly know how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not face to face. And we are humans and there's something about human interaction that helps us thrive. The oxytocin, the dopamine that we need to be touched. Yes. We need to be touched. We need to feel we, we need to have that face to face physical interaction with people. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, we, we hug and cuddle our babies and nurse our babies, you know, and just because you get older doesn't mean you don't need a hug. There was a, a, a article I read that said if you want to connect with someone uh, emotionally quicker, faster, look into their left eye. Oh. And if you want to tap into their uh, or appeal to their logical part of their brain, mm-hmm. look into their right eye. Interesting. Kind of like the right brain, left, left brain, brain idea, but through the eyes. Absolutely. Huh. Which, you know, lends itself to the importance of face to face or even, you know, Talking to strangers, uh, you know, we, I, you know, I, I think we kind of grew up in the same era. I mean, I'm 42 and you're 31, and you're 31. Yeah. But I still think that we kind of grew up where it was like stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of adults are uh, weirded out by talking to strangers. But even it doesn't have to be I, I'm just now realizing like you don't necessarily have to reach out to someone close to you that you know, mm-hmm. just striking up a, a random conversation in a coffee shop mm-hmm. or in a bookstore. Oh yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of the loneliness, right? Right. You're at home, you're ordering things. You're not getting out. You're, you're not, not getting out. You're not going to the bookstore. You're just ordering your groceries right. off Amazon. Oh, I love going to Trader Joe's. I was just I, talking about this with some moms today. I love going there. Everyone that works there is so nice. They know you, you know them. And I love it. And there it's, it's human interaction. It's so important. My mom loves to make friends on airplanes. 
um, which is a tricky place to make a friend because you're sitting next to them yeah. for a long period of time. <laughs> and you don't I mean, know how long they're going to keep going. She flies in. She lives up um, outside of Lake Tahoe. And she, so she flies like Reno to LAX to come visit. And she'll, she comes into the house and she always has a story. She's like, so this person I met today, <laughs> you know, and it's always a story. And I'm like, wow. I mean, do you ever feel like you you like get into a conversation that you just can't stop. And she is one person who loves human interaction and she loves communicating with people. And I just, I wish that for more people in this world. <laughs> I, I, I love it too for like tw- 10, 20 minutes. And then yeah, I maybe. put my headphones on, <laughs> but you always get that person who's like too bold. And then they just, they tap on that. Like, and another thing. And I'm just like, like oh, no, here we go, lady. <laughs> yeah. So for our children though, they need more of that. And that's why I'm hoping that like sports never die out or the arts, the you know, arts. even dancing yes. or learning to play music even if it's a one-on-one private guitar lesson you're communicating with someone at a level that you both enjoy too and I think that's important is doing you know talking to people that about things that you enjoy and that kind of again feed your soul you know it's like building a tribe also yeah um because you know I'm an introvert Mm -hmm. and really oh yeah definitely I know right (laughs) (laughs) And, and so what's interesting is, you know, because in I think when you don't have an understanding of yourself, you can mislabel yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of kids do that. And I definitely did that because uh, being an introvert, I thought I was shy or something was weird. or And then other kids thought I was stuck up because mm-hmm. I wasn't socializing. Oh, because you weren't talking to them. Yes. Yeah, like, oh, so, right. So they had a, a idea of me, but, you know, but it was, they didn't had no idea. And uh, when I say introvert, I realize like, and I think a lot of people are introverts who don't know it. But we do better with one-on-one interactions, which is why I can do this podcast. Right. Which is why I can do counseling or even stand-up. Because even though stand-up, I'm talking in front of a million people, in my head, I'm just having a conversation with one person. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of kids don't realize that they're more, have a more introverted personality. Mm -hmm. And then they're being thrust into these kind of, because as a society, we value that. We do. Yeah. Are you, how would you label yourself or are you like I would an say ambivert? I'm, I'm more of an extrovert than an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer more intimate settings, but I, I do well in groups also. I just, I do better in smaller groups. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like I can connect with, um, well, basically the definition for, for you guys out there listening, the definition of an introvert versus extrovert is an introvert. Uh, gets more of their energy from being alone or by themselves. And an extrovert gets more of their energy from being around other people, which made sense because when I think about my best friend in college, he was always wanting to go out on the weekends and he would come kidnap me. Yeah, um, and because he me needed you. He needed me. Yeah. And I was always like resistant, but he would always, I'd be like, all right, because I just felt like I should be socializing why do I not like to socialize? I thought something was wrong with me well I don't like to live in like a all or nothing type of an idea absolutely um I think that's a very dangerous it's a very dangerous slippery slope and I think I do very well around other people and I really enjoy it but I also do you know just like anyone sometimes you like your nights alone but I think if I had to choose one I would choose 
feeding from the energy of other people. Right, right. How long have you and your husband been married? We just celebrated our fourth wedding wedding anniversary, wow. June 21st. Congratulations. Thank you. We've been together almost nine years. And how did you guys meet? Match.com. Get out of here. Yeah. A dating website. A dating website in 2009. Yeah. I was, I had just graduated college. Yep. So I was 22. Yep. He was, he had just turned 25. And why a 22 and 25 year old in 2009 were on match.com, I do not know. Because <laughs> th- that was That's not the a prob- thing then. It wasn't. It wasn't You're a right. thing then. No, no. I mean, I, we're not sure when his parents even found out that we had met online. I, I didn't care. I was like, yeah, we met online, told everyone. Um, yeah, we're trendsetters, I guess. Uh, one of my good friends is a pastor. Yes. And she met her husband on Match.com. So then I thought it was okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's a pastor. She's a minister. I can do it too. <laughs> um, yeah, and as we met online, we were each other's first date. Isn't that wild? And like you just we, never looked I mean, back. I talked to other people. Yeah, but that was the first. You just, yeah. you just Now, did you just know from the first time? Or was there like, nah, let's see. I mean, it, you know, it's dating. It yeah. takes some time. I'm not like I a girl I went to high school with um, had a like a very um, like incredible online dating story where like they knew the first night and they were like engaged and married very quickly um, and like happily married with children today. Wow. And I don't. Um, don't take this the wrong way, Louie. <laughs> I mean, it takes time to get to know someone, especially when you met them on the internet. And we had we we had our we had a hiatus at one point, mm. but all good relationships need that to really yes. find yourself. And then when we were back, we we're like, we're doing this, we're doing this, and we have a great relationship. And I think part of it is because we communicate really well. Speaking of children needing to get out, they need to know how to communicate with people because it's very important. How now? So when you say know how to communicate, is that something that you both just naturally have? Had, have, yeah. had, 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 um, and, or is that something that you get, you're like, we need to go to couples therapy before we even get married? Um, no, we were just, uh, we've always had a really great relationship. We've always been able to kind of tell each other how it is, but in a respectful manner, we're there for each other. We support each other's endeavors and dreams. And, you know, I was in grad school and we met and I went through this whole licensing process, which takes a long time. And he has... You know, all, he has all of his projects that he works on, such as the Mustangs, and we support each other and we support each other's passions and we are really great parents together and we have a, we tag team that pretty well, I would say, and it just works. I yeah. could feel it too, you know, because, uh, you know, and this is my first time meeting you, yes, but yeah. the energy just, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing, <laughs> you know, because you could just, you know, some couples you meet them, you go, oh, you guys aren't going to make it. but then you know couples like yourself i mean but at the same time you know for you don't know first impression second impression you go right i was completely off (laughs) but um you could just you could just feel the energy in the house and you know uh and how you two you know talk to each other in that brief uh you know interlude you know the little micro um expressions all right like, I'm, oh I'm, there's i'm glad we put that that out there <laughs> what are so i think like everybody knows how to handle when things are good mm-hmm. right um or they think they do right what like what are some of the things like when you guys do have uh conflict or mm-hmm. discourse or disagreements what are some of the uh practical or things that you guys do to kind of uh, work your way through that. Mm-hmm. 
I think we're both good at acknowledging when we're wrong. I don't think many people, not everyone has that skill. So that in itself is a really good tool that we use. Do you just say I'm, I'm, I was wrong or is it? Yeah. yeah okay. Maybe different words, but mm-hmm. yeah, we can acknowledge when we're wrong. Um, we know that the end goal is to not fight. Like we don't need to fight. We don't need to get in an argument. It's not typically if we're disagreeing about something, it's not that important. So we try to get past it, you know, and we remember that there are other things that, I don't know, there's more important things that we do agree on or there's, we have a, you know, we have this great relationship. We have these great experiences. So why are we arguing about like, I don't know, I'm trying to even think we don't, we don't fight. We talk about this every once in a while that like we don't fight. It's very interesting. I'm hoping that happens for more couples out there. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like, oh. Now, because who, I ha- who gets a I night a- off this week? Because now we have Shelby. You know, before uh, it was definitely we didn't fight. Um, we still don't fight, but now the biggest problem is if we one of us wants to work out and one of us wants to work in the garage, he's the one in the garage. Yeah. It's like who gets that night? Because you can't just like leave Shelby. <laughs> no, no, no. Or you, you end up uh, buying a Peloton bike and and doing the little workout yeah. at home, and that's not the same. That's not me though. You need that. No. Uh, what kind of workout do you I do? I swim. You, you swim. Yeah, so I definitely can't do that. Yeah, where do you, you at the uh, LA Fitness? No, at um at the university here at oh. LMU they have a there's like Master Swim, which is like swim practice for adults. Yeah. So it's great because it's people like some people that swim there are like were collegiate swimmers and they're really good. And then some people like just learned how to swim and they're 60 and then I'm in the middle. And the, and so like you're learning then because you're watching them. Are you? Are you? Oh, are no, you we have like an, talking, we have like they give you a workout. Gotcha. Yeah. Were you ever a swimmer? By no. Oh, okay. So <laughs> when you go not, to like not a lot of black male swimmers from Chicago, you know, you never know. You never know. And uh, I've tried. I've taken it in high school. Yeah, I've dated no, female like lifeguards. Full on like swim practice. So at like swim practice, you get, I mean, they give you a set. So they're like, all right, go and do five, you know, go go do like five 200 yard freestyles on the, I don't know, on like the three minute and 50 second interval. And like, it's like, it's intense. You're swimming the whole, it's not like, I'm not learning how to swim. Gotcha. I'm doing it as a. And, you know, and I'm sure that's important for you, too, because you spend a lot of your day telling people what to do and talking to people. And 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 now you have somebody telling you what to do. So I would imagine that kind of like your brain goes, all right, I can relax. Now I'm just going to do what the guy tells me to do or the woman. And (laughs) and I can just zone out for uh, the next hour. Uh, And and the reason why I asked if like uh, if you're asking them questions about like not so much how to swim but maybe how to improve your technique on swimming. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of past that now. Got Not you. because I'm amazing, but yeah. because I swim to just to exercise. Yeah. Um I'm actually I'm swimming the the swimming leg of a triathlon relay on the 15th of September. So I really had to get back in the pool to kind of get back in shape. Yes. Um but I just do it just kind of to stay in shape and to exercise and to socialize because it's fun. I mean, you don't have a lot of socializing in the pool because you only have like 10, 15 seconds rest, but it's enjoyable. Um, and some people there are learning more about stroke too. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's important because, it, it, you know, so much emphasis, especially with depression and suicidality is, uh, you know, people say go exercise, but group exercise 
uh, specifically for people mm-hmm. who, um, it's even, especially if you're shy or introvert, because then, you know, the, the weight's not completely on you and there's a shared mission mm-hmm. or goal and you guys are getting through this thing. I oh, think that's yeah. why CrossFit is so big right oh, now. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of those personalities in there yeah. where it's like, I want to be around people, but I don't really want to. <laughs> right. Well, before I went back to work, I was doing, um, there's a franchise called um, Stroller Strides where it's you, you said it like, don't you know, haven't you heard of this? Stroller Strides. <laughs> Uh, so you and your baby and your stroller show up to work out <laughs> and it's really fun um, because you bring your baby because when you're a new mom, you like have to bring your baby everywhere. So yeah. most can't work out because they don't have someone to watch their kid. So you, well, you don't leave your kid. There's a coach. So the coach like observes the children in their strollers and you do like sprints and resistance band training and crunches and lunges. And it's super fun. And it's great because new moms i mean some women suffer unfortunately from postpartum depression but just baby blues in general can be really real because you're home alone especially women who used to work or who are off work for the time being their partners are at work you know they might not have family around and they're alone with a baby that's beautiful but can't talk back and can't communicate with you so it's this really lovely community where people are you know moms are supporting each other while working out right um, while socializing, which is really great. And, and I understand that a lot of areas and cities don't have that type of thing, but maybe that's something if you are in a more isolated rural area, you can start on your own, you oh, know, create sure. your own tribe, create your own yeah. movement, draw people to you. I think a lot of people who are uh, introverts or entrepreneurs are shy. Mm-hmm. And by building a company or starting this this nonprofit or whatever they're doing mm-hmm. is a way to kind of draw people to them um, right. and, and in a meaningful way. Right. And you can do it on a smaller scale as well. Just, you know, meetups. You yeah. you find something you're interested in. You advertise it somewhere in town, whether it's on, you know, like nextdoor.com, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots, lots of good stuff on lots nextdoor.com. Of, well, you talk about something that terrifies. If you don't know what nextdoor.com is, <laughs> go look it up. <laughs> go look it up, and it'll make you terrified of uh, your neighborhood. You, you, Pretty you much. Like. <laughs> or you'll see someone like me who, when I moved in, I posted. I was like, all the young couples out there, let's get together. And no I started. <laughs> no, we had some replies, but our, our monthly couple get together has only lasted two months, um, you know, twice. But since then, that was like three years ago. Now, like five of us have babies. So now we actually did become uh, friends, nice. which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, but So that's a good way to, one, learn about all the terrible things that are happening in your neighborhood. Oh, um, man. Oh, I go straight to it. If there's a helicopter, nextdoor.com. <laughs> actually, you know what's better is the mom's Facebook group of like Westchester and Playa del Rey here where we live. Um it's, I mean, within seconds, if there's a helicopter, someone knows what's going Somebody on. Somebody knows. Oh, my goodness. It's too much it's information. Great. It's just like you know, you're a hyper is, alert. It is a hyper alert. Yeah. My husband I, at one point had to kick me off at nextdoor.com because I'm like, there's all these break-ins. And he's like, you need to stop. I know. My buddy now, he bought cameras because they're pretty cheap. They're like $30 yeah. cameras yeah. in his house and outside his house. And he's just constantly <laughs> checking his phone. Just like make sure the dogs are safe. And I'm just yeah, like, it's, on the you know, if I get home and my house is gone, fine. It's insured. <laughs> I'll, I can replace it. I'm right. not going to be checking in on it 
every 10 seconds. I know. Too much information. Too much. Uh, to wrap up, you know, because the podcast is called Before You Kill Yourself, um, what, what, is, what are the things you want to say to someone right now who's listening, who might be listening and on that verge or in terms of like, before you kill yourself, consider this? I would say first, think about what is your reason that you're still alive today? If you're listening to this podcast, you haven't killed yourself. And there's a reason you haven't. So think about it. Think about, is that a person? Is that something you want to do? Um, is it because you just some part of you doesn't want to kill yourself? And remind yourself of that. And then I would say, call someone. You know, if you have a therapist you're able to call after hours, great. Call him or her. If you have a friend or a family member, great, even better. Um, if you don't feel like you have anyone you can call the suicide hotline and I will give you the actual number in case you don't want to spell suicide. Okay. It is 1-800-784-2433. And if you live in Los Angeles, you can call this number specifically 877-727-4747. And uh, thank you for sharing those mm -hmm. numbers. Uh, there are also other numbers, right? Other hotlines out there that they have access. I have a whole uh, okay. list here on my Great. phone. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna link those um, in the show notes uh, because I had a friend. I remember because I posted, like I said, I posted on Facebook my story about calling the suicide mm -hmm. hotline, and uh, one of my friends responded like, um, "I called and nobody picked up," and I'm like, "Okay." Even if that was the case, because when I called, it took a minute and 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But there are a million, as as you right. just showed me, different numbers that you can call. So there's someone there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a story of this guy who thought he was calling the hotline and he talked to this person for three hours. And it turned out that uh, it, it was just some guy who recognized that this, the you know, that he was in despair and decided wow. to talk to him. And it was like at one o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. And what, a nice what an amazing person. So yeah. the, you know, the point is, is that you may, even if you feel like there's no one who will listen to you or who cares, there's someone out there. Right. Right. And what's great is there are some like specific ones too. So there's a domestic violence hotline. There's a teen line here in Los Angeles where they only operate like five hours every evening. But what's nice, it's, it's a teen peer hotline. So teens are calling and talking to teens. Yeah. And if the, Topic is too deep, they'll transfer you to the suicide hotline. Um, there's the Trevor Project, which is for LGBTQ calls. It's There are so many wonderful resources out there that, unfortunately, people just don't know about. There's also Crisis Chat. I think it's called crisischat.org. Do I have it on here? No, I don't. Uh, crisischat.org, and you instant message. Oh. And there's um, text as well where you wow. can text a number okay so we'll put all those up fantastic yeah. fantastic and then is there now i know with the police is there 911 is like emergency mm -hmm. and then is there a 411 and 211 for information well oh. I, I didn't know if there was like maybe a kind of a a phone number that you could call but where you're not calling the police because you you know um uh, what am I trying to say? What are you trying to get? So like, there, like, uh, like a four one one. So it's like maybe not so much an emergency, but you just want to talk. Maybe you know something oh, as an aside to. There are talk lines. Okay. I'll try and find one of those for you, and okay. I can give you that info. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there Thank anything you. that you want to uh, 
plug, post, social media, anything? Fantastic. No, I don't think so. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Marley Beats, for this. Um, This was really informational. Um, Like I said, I'm going to link all those numbers in the show notes. And thank you for tuning in to Before You Kill Yourself. Thanks.